0: Before we get started today, I just wanted to take a minute to invite you to our next group consult. If you are a trauma treatment professional and want to gather with other like-minded professionals to gain support, insight, and share your own knowledge and resources, join us. You can present or you can just listen. This opportunity is open to all trauma treatment professionals. It will be held virtually and we will meet for one and a half hours. Don't miss it. Register and learn more at TraumaTreatmentCollective.com. Welcome to the Trauma Treatment Collective podcast. My name is Nina Keeler, a licensed marriage and family therapist and trauma specialist. In this space, we will share tips and tools on how to grow your trauma treatment skills while also keeping your own mental
1: health in mind.
0: Welcome to our first-time listeners and welcome back to our followers. Today, we're going to be talking with a special guest. Uh, We're going to be talking with Adrienne Kimmett. Adrienne is a holistic healthcare professional with a diverse background, specializing in nursing, family health, autism, neurodiversity, disability, and well-being. In addition, she is known as a relationship and nervous system focused behavioral consultant with a strong foundation in nursing. She has dedicated herself to helping neurodiverse families and individuals understand the intricate connections between their mind, body experiences, unique history, environments and relationships. So I am excited to be talking with Adrienne about neurodiversity and trauma so with no further ado let's get started okay so hi adrian thanks for being a part of this conversation with me um, and sharing your passions gifts and talents with the community i'm so happy to have you um so yeah welcome first of all thank you so much for having me you're welcome you're welcome So we're going to get started. And I want you to tell me a little bit about how you got into neurodiversity and helping Mm -hmm. families do their neurodiverse challenge. And um, what started you? Like, how did you become passionate about this work?
1: Absolutely. So about eight years ago, I was a mom of a two and a half year old who uh, we found out was autistic. And as I was learning about autism, and reading books, including a book called Uniquely Human by Barry Present, I recognized a lot of what he was writing in myself, and realized that there was uh, likely a genetic component um, as to why my son had been diagnosed as autistic. And at that time, I had been looking for a way to shift my Uh, nursing practice into something more autonomous and more entrepreneurial. And so I decided, and knowing that my child would have a disability and need extra support, I I also knew that my work was going to need a lot more flexibility than what I had in in my current position at that time. And so I started doing uh, relationship-based trainings to learn more about how to support autistic Children, and from there, I have continued to do um, training and learning and working directly with families who have autistic kids. And through this journey, we've learned that um, everybody in my family is autistic, and quite often, this is what happens for the families I work with as well: is they they recognize it in one of their children, and then they start to recognize some sort of neurodivergence in. Um, a lot of the family unit. And so I've just become incredibly passionate about neurodivergence and understanding brain-based differences and how to better support families. Um, And it's just, yeah, it's become an absolute passion and special interest for me.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So I know there's a lot of new literature, a lot of new content in general coming out about neurodiversity, but can you tell our listeners or the community a little bit about Kind of if you were explaining, like, what is neurodivergence? Uh, How does that show up in people? Like, just what would you give them as a general definition, I guess?
1: Yeah, I think when we're looking at neurodiversity, that term basically includes um, just various ranges of brain functioning. And then when we have someone who's considered neurodivergent, it means that their brain and nervous system functions differently than what we would call a neurotypical person or sort of what our standard idea of what it is to be human and how it is to function in in society. So a neurodivergent person might be autistic. They can be ADHD they can be dyslexic. So there's a huge umbrella of what neurodivergence is. And essentially what it is, is there's at the brain level, there are differences for that person in terms of how their brain functions, and how they experience the world. And that Mm. means that they will have, generally, they'll have differences in the way they socialize, the way they communicate, um, the way their executive function works, the way they Perceive and experience the the world. Mm-hmm.
0: That kind of goes into a little bit of what are some signs um, mm-hmm. that a client might benefit from some um, support with neurodivergence. Uh, them experiencing the world differently, maybe communicating differently, having social skills. Would there be anything else that you would add to that list of things um, that a, a trauma treatment professional might see? So, like maybe a person's coming in to a trauma treatment professional and saying, Hey, I got this trauma experience that I want to work through, or I I got these things that I want to work through. But then we also along that journey discover um, that they're neurodivergent or they already know that they're neurodivergent. And Mm -hmm. so like just knowing what are some signs that might say, okay, this person might need some additional supports.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think when you have somebody coming into your practice, probably one of the first things you might see is burnout a high level of burnout, they may be experiencing a lot of um, overload and general dysregulation. Um, A huge component for most neurodivergent people is uh, their sensory experiences, which tend to be um, more intense or sometimes less intense. But that sensory overload living in a very fast paced modern world is a huge contributor to What can cause a lot of dysregulation if the person uh, doesn't have a lot of accommodations in their life at that point? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And then also, quite often, what will happen is as neurodivergent people come into um, counseling, they may have a variety, especially women, they may have a variety of mental health diagnoses, but the treatments for those mental health diagnoses have not been helpful because they might be treating trying to treat something that they think is bipolar, but it might actually be that the person is neurodivergent. They might be autistic rather Mm -hmm. than bipolar. And so we can see people coming in with a lot of labels, but still really, really struggling day to day. Yeah. So being curious about that. Being very curious. Yeah. 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 And And listening, really listening to the person's experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm guessing most people, uh, I guess you may run into some people who are very open to that conversation and that curiosity and being curious with you. Um, and then some people who may still have a lot of stigma around those terms um, that come with neurodivergence diagnosis. Um, so any any suggestions of how to navigate those beginning conversations with someone who, who may be a little more resistant?
1: For sure. What I have found is that... Um, Nowadays, there is more awareness of neurodivergence. So it's not sometimes such a shock to people's system, but for some people they've never heard of it or mm-hmm. they are still really looking at it through um, like a medical model of disability, a deficits-based lens, rather mm-hmm. than the social model of disability. And so if you have somebody coming in and you, you're sort of reading that this is going to be uh, too big of a step to start talking about neurodiversity... What I usually do is I just start having conversations about the nervous system, a sensitized stress response system, dysregulation, and sensory and body sensations. And then gradually over time, you can start to bring in other pieces to the conversation. I do find that for individuals who, um, you know, we're suspecting might be very resistant. It's, good to go slow sometimes it can take a year or two and I usually like to frame it so that the person makes the discovery themselves rather than me telling them what I think so I'm giving them maybe little bits of information here and there but I'm not I generally wouldn't say like you know I think you're autistic unless they were asking do you think I'm autistic and then I would give them an authentic answer as to what I'm seeing but generally especially because If you're working with someone who's pretty dysregulated chronically, if you give them information that they're not wanting or it didn't come from within them, it can activate demand avoidance and a stress response and defensiveness. So it's um, I find it is like walking a, a fine line and really working with that individual client and figuring out what that next baby step is. And sometimes we misstep. Right. But it's just like walking that line yeah. And being very attuned to the client in front of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Paying
0: attention to as you drop things in, how
1: does that come exactly. back?
0: Exactly. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love the idea
0: of talking about it from all the kind of symptoms that mm-hmm. show up um, and helping them to become more aware of those. And then maybe, you know, as that unfolds, yeah, other things will happen. I've also had some clients and maybe, maybe you're familiar with this. I'm sure you're familiar with this. Other people may be familiar with this too, but I'm sure you are. Um, the don't need the label, just kind of mm-hmm. knowing that there's some neurodivergence there gives them a lot of space to be compassionate with themselves, to put in the accommodations that they need to not demand, um, that they show up in the world in a certain way and those kinds of things. So that's been interesting too, of like, they don't want to go for the formal diagnosis. They just are like, yeah, right. I know my brain's different and that's cool. You know, um, and it, puts gives them some understanding so that's another thing too that I've seen
1: and I you know as time has gone on that self-diagnosis is really accepted as valid
0: Mm
1: -hmm. in Mm -hmm. in the greater community which is lovely yeah yeah awesome
0: Okay. So now if a community community member is listening to us, have this conversation and thinking like, man, I really want to learn more about this. I want to become better at identifying and helping my clients on that journey. If I'm noticing things, um, how, where would you direct them to learn more? Like what are some things that you would encourage them
1: to do? The main thing I would encourage them to do is to learn about neurodivergence from neurodivergent people. So, looking for people or podcasts like maybe on social media or podcasts that you like listening to that embrace neurodivergence and the lived experience of neurodivergence because those are the people who are going to be um, the experts and so and nowadays there's lots of people who are counselors and occupational therapists online and sharing from a neurodivergent perspective as well as bringing in whatever their expertise is. So that's where, that's where I would recommend people go. Don't go to quote unquote experts who are not necessarily uh, autistic or ADHD because they're gonna have an outside perspective. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I loved uh, that reminded me of a statement you said that I was like, oh, I didn't know, like being able to differentiate the medical model from the social model. Mm-hmm. I would guess that people who are, have that lived experience have more of a social model perspective on it and the people who are quote-unquote experts are coming from more of a medical research-based
1: yes generalized everybody looks like this everybody has
0: this flavor
1: kind of thing so and if you don't fit that mold then there's something that needs to be fixed Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. instead of looking at it as oh you've got some differences what are your strengths how can we support you what accommodations do you need
0: yeah yeah cool well, thanks for sharing that. I think that's mm-hmm. a good place to, to direct people. Um, so we're going to switch gears a little bit, um, but in the same vein of you can talk a little bit about um, neurodivergence and these kinds of questions as well. So feel free to talk about it as much as you'd like. But um, in the community, one of the big things is us being able to stay healthy as we are helping others be healthy or on their journey towards health. Um, how do you stay healthy? being a coach, um, being neurodivergent, parenting a neurodivergent child, like what are the things that you find? And and this is in hopes of just inspiring others. Like, so they may hear you're doing something like, oh, I never thought about that. Oh, that sounds really interesting. I'd like to kind of, you know, do that or whatever. So whatever you feel like sharing.
1: Sure. And I think it's been a lot of trial and error. Like I have, I have experienced a lot of burnout and had to kind of crawl out of that. Um, And each time that happens, I learn more about the accommodations that are going to be helpful for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of the best accommodations that has happened um, was through COVID. And I became, um, I I, I basically just work remotely. Once in a while, I'll go out into the community. But remote work is, um, it's an excellent match for me. And I hear that from a lot of um, neurodivergent people that working from home reduces a lot of barriers and a lot of stressors. Mm -hmm. For me, I had no idea how stressful driving was. it, I'm fine at driving. I'm a good driver, but just the, the uh, getting in the car and, you know, driving 25 kilometers to see a client and then another 25 kilometers to see another client and then home um, versus if I just do two sessions online, it's I'm in a completely different place at the end of the day. So that's been really big for me is just recognizing that, although I would love to go out and see people, um, it's actually best for my well-being to not do that as often. Mm-hmm. Um My sensory needs, I probably used to just ignore them or push through. And now I recognize I need to meet my sensory needs uh, all the time throughout my day. Um, In my office, like I sit on a wobble stool, I have putty that I play with, I have various um, different other like fidgets on my desk, I can change the lighting in my office. So I have lots of ways that I can regulate myself as I'm working Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I'm working with clients, I try to put time in between each session so that I can decompress and do something that's going to help myself regulate. Mm -hmm. Um, I find if I go back, back to back sessions, it tends to be very exhausting for me. And so just actually planning breaks for myself is really, really helpful. Knowing my signs of burnout is absolutely critical because I used to not know I was burning out until I was deep in burnout. Whereas now I have more body awareness and I can recognize the early signs, such as I will start getting ringing in my ears Mm. before I actually go into a, a state of burnout. And so knowing that about myself, I can then scale back and do the things that I need to do to restore energy and just sort of step back from life a little bit. And I think in terms of, my body like learning about my own nervous system and my own arousal states and how I regulate has been probably like the most critical thing in terms of my self-care is like really getting to know my body and what's happening because then I can respond um, more with what I need and putting in those accommodations that I need and then the final piece that really really helps me is co-regulation for myself Mm -hmm. throughout the week so I have opportunities to, um, just speak and be heard and listened to, um, with other, with other adults. Um, it's kind of like counseling. I do something called a listening partnership. It's from the hand in hand parenting model. And basically it's like I exchange time with another parent and we get, you get to just talk and the other person listens and validates and provides no advice. They don't problem solve or anything. And basically you get this opportunity to offload whatever stress you have or whatever you need to get into and tap into your own inner wisdom. So that's been really, it's been just an absolute amazing coping strategy for me. So yeah, those are some of the things I like to do to uh, aim to keep well. Yeah. But it is, it's a fine balance I find. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm I'm sure it's shifting and changing, you know, with things like that. One, I want to go back to that. I think, I'm I'm passionate about and I just want to highlight for the community because I'm just like, yes, Uh, creating your space for you and not for the client. You know, like I know your clients don't come into your space, uh, but if you do have an office um, and people come into your space, I have I think in some ways we have been taught to create it for the client, to make it welcoming for the client, to make it cozy for the client. Uh, And we forget about what we need. Uh, in that space. And so, like, if there's something that that regulates you or resources you, like, I love the fact that you have those things in your space that are really for you. They're not for the client. Like, if you maybe want to play with my putty, I might share it. I don't know. You know, maybe people don't want to be sharing putty, but whatever. Um, But that putty's for you, you know, like that putty's for you. It's not a sensory box for your client. Um, So, I just think that's beautiful. So, yay. just wanted to highlight that.
1: And I like having like visuals up to that um, bring me cues of safety to my nervous system. So I have like on the door behind me, I have a rainbow because I, I just love rainbows. Um, and over to my like to the left here, I have um, a basket of um, really special things that people who love me have given me. And so that really like just shifting my gaze over to that and looking at it. Um, if I'm in a hard moment with a client it brings me cues of safety and helps to soothe my nervous system. Mm-hmm. Excellent.
0: Love it. Um, okay. So what's one thing you wish you would have known before you started this journey of helping others in this way? Um, mm. I know you're helping others with through nursing, um, but as you move more into kind of um, this particular support that you're providing now, what's one thing you wish you would have known?
1: Well, I think because I did come from a medical model, I was always more interested in holistic practices, but still was trained in a medical model. And so I've had a lot of um, deconstructing I've had to do in terms of how I work with people. And so really moving away from a prescriptive fix type of, I'm the expert type of an approach to a collaborative approach where I trust that the person is the expert in their life, and I'm walking alongside them, um, I have found that shifting away from like teaching more towards coaching has been extraordinarily um, helpful. So I think that shift, um, like if I'd known that going into it, it would have been very helpful in mm-hmm. in early in my practice, but at the same time, I really value uh, having gone through those experiences. Yeah. yeah. But really, it's about being with people rather than thinking about what we need to do to um, fix them or make things better. It's, it's just really focusing in on that relationship. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, our last question is always a fun one for me. I've just learned a little bit about people. So, Uh, one thing you don't mind sharing with the community about yourself, it could be like a fun fact or something that, you know, you enjoy or whatever you want to share.
1: Sure. So I love doing handstands. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Very nice.
0: Yeah. You don't meet many adults who are still, I mean, other, you know, like yoga um, I know there's a position there, you know, a couple, probably a couple positions in yoga that people are doing. I handstands. think so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I
0: feel like yours are more fun. I feel like the it's more you fun. It,
1: like my daughter and yeah. I play gymnastics and we do, you know, handstands and cartwheels and yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. And I, and that I that enjoy it. Fun.
0: I don't want to send that message, but what I'm saying was, it was something about yours that playful. I think it was playful.
1: Called. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Playful.
0: Um, yeah, yeah I, I learned in college that my dad could do handstands. He dropped no me off graduate school. and He was like, some kind of way we got on this conversation about handstands. And he was like, yeah, I can do a handstand. And I was like, no, you can't. And that's when I learned, like when I was 25 or something. <laughs> so, yeah, makes me think of that sweet memory. That's so lovely. Yeah, so, you know, he's a fellow handstander. Um, yeah. Well, cool. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Okay. Anything else you want to share? Um, how could? Uh, well, we're going to link to all of your resources and things of that nature, your website um, and anything. But anything else you want to share that you feel like would be helpful for people to connect if they feel like they want to either uh, talk with you more or refer a family to you or you know whatever.
1: For sure, yeah. So I offer um, parent coaching and consulting, and most of the families I work with, the kids and the parents are are neurodivergent. Um, I'm also starting to do more work in mentoring professionals who want to become more affirming in their practice. Um, and then on top of that, I offer um, groups and trainings that are for uh, parents and professionals, so like counselors or occupational therapists and uh, different That's professionals awesome. like that. Yeah.
0: Okay. So we'll definitely link to all of those so people can continue to connect with you beyond this podcast. And, you know, if they want to grow their skill sets or they have people that they think would be a good fit for you, or you want to, you know, talk with you more about potentials, whatever that may look like. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been great. You're welcome.
0: All right. That's it for today, guys. Take care. hope you enjoyed our episode for today. Just a quick reminder before you head out, just make sure you head over to the traumatreatmentcollective.com to learn more about our monthly group consults. We would love to have you join us.